today on the podcast, we are going on a little espionage journey. Now, I don't know if you've heard about a spy called Donald McLean. His codename was Orphan. He was the most enigmatic member of the infamous Cambridge Spies. Like the rest of that extraordinary group, McLean was recruited while at university to become a mole for the Russian communist regime during the Cold War. He leaked huge amounts of top-secret British intelligence before he was forced to disappear. On a damp day earlier this year, author Roland Phillips took Alex Clark on tour of Whitehall, where Donald worked for the Foreign Office and spied for the Russians. To explain why he decided to write his book, A Spy Named Orphan, and to give us an insight into what made McLean go from gifted diplomat to dangerous traitor. just walked through the kind of extraordinary sort of landscape of uh, the Foreign Office, which actually takes you into Parkland and um, Horse Guards Parade, and it, you, you suddenly think, how could so much else be going on within this sort of amazing space? And I wondered, Roland, if you could tell us a bit about um, the beginning of Donald McLean, how this might have happened. Donald McLean's father, also called Donald, Sir Donald, uh, was the son of a crofter. He would, they were very, very poor. Um, they were turned off their land in the Highland Clearances. And D- Maclean's grandfather ended up in Haverford West in southwest Wales, where his two sons uh, went to Haverford West Grammar School. They both ended up as knights uh, and uh, Sir Donald Maclean became uh, leader of the Liberal Party briefly and when he died he was Minister of Education for his first cabinet post in 1932 at the end of his son's first year at Cambridge. He was very strong, uh, staunch Presbyterian, wouldn't allow drinking, wouldn't allow smoking, family prayers twice a day, church on Sunday, they lived in Bayswater. Um, and uh, I believe that very repressive regime helped Donald McLean become a spy as well as um, uh, in that his father always told him follow your conscience whatever you do and that was Sir Donald's mantra and but I think he could not possibly have expected his son to follow his conscience the way he did. Uh, It hindered McLean in that he became very repressed, never showed his true feelings, which was further exacerbated when he went to Gresham School in Norfolk, which was a very progressive school full of liberal children of liberal parents, um, where they were encouraged to, uh, they had to take an extraordinary oath when they went there not to smoke, swear, or think impure thoughts. And if they did any of those things, W.H. Uh, Orden, who was also at the school, said in letters to Iceland, said, halt three broken promises from me. Um, uh, if, if you did, do all of those things. Of course they, they are. You know. Thinking impure thoughts if you're a teenage boy, inevitable. But I think the, the kicker was that if you did any of those things, you were meant to turn yourself in. And if you didn't turn yourself in, you could be turned in by your schoolmates which I believe would instill such a um, psychological um, burying of, of what was actually going on, 
whilst you, as Donald McLean was, a very, very successful schoolboy in the first generation of his family to go to university. Mm. He was expected to shine, but I think all the time that would have led to a tug inside, which he exploit, which is another reason I think he was able to be successful publicly and privately, because he, he was brought up with this uh, dichotomy. So do you think it would be fair to say that all spies, and you, you mentioned uh, the psychological profilers who, mm. who turn them, look for people who have got that sort of tension, that cognitive dissonance, their background doesn't match yes. what they are entirely? I, I do think uh, on Deutsch's infantile need for praise and reassurance, when I thought about that as I was writing the book, I realised that all five of the Cambridge spies had issues with their father. Philby's father was a famous um, monster and he loathed Philby loathed and indeed his first trial run as a spy was to spy on his father um, Maclean's father died um, when he was in his first year at Cambridge as I say and was a huge role model who suddenly wasn't there and certainly I don't think Philippe would have been much use for patting his son on the back um, uh, Blunt's father, Burgess's father also died when he was a very young boy uh, and so on. So I do think um, the psychological recruiter, psychologically minded recruiter played on that and realised that these were men without role models young mm. men without mm. role models and, and he and Russia I suppose could become that mm. and the snippets we have from Mos Moscow Centre uh, going back to McLean are full of extravagant praise for uh, what he was sending them and all that and it must have really filled a need and loving the holding of secrets mm. I mean it does make you feel quite powerful having yes. a secret and yes. I think that's a part of it yes first of all he was indefatigable I mean he gave out so much information from the foreign office that they had to give him his own handler uh, to process it and they kept begging him to slow down he gave away the plans for the founding of the United Nations, the founding of NATO. He just gave the Russians time to get everything in order. Right. This is the courtyard. We're outside the courtyard of the Foreign Office. Uh, McLean was uh, a uh, great diplomat, Could have, would have become head of this whole Foreign Office, I believe if the chance rumbling hadn't uncovered his espionage activities. And here, just outside the round courtyard in the centre of the Foreign Office, was where he was last seen by official eyes, by his boss, Roger Makins, who happened to be my grandfather. And he said in this uh, conversation they had about 6 o'clock uh, on the 25th of May, 1951, he said, you haven't forgotten I've got tomorrow off, have you? Because he was very anxious. No one should uh, check up on him uh, the following day. And my grandfather said, no, of course I haven't, um, and, but did go in and check that he had given uh, the head of the American department, Donald McLean, the next day off. Now we've seen the MI5 files for that day, and indeed every other day since the tale was on him. It simply says... Uh, Donald McLean, the, they called him Curzon, the MI5 had codenamed him. Uh, Curzon got on the 610 at Victoria and was lost to sight because the tail didn't follow him home. 
So that was how, that was the very day he defected and he wasn't missed for four days because he'd had the day off. And the other uh, factor that made me start writing it, as well as always having Donald McLean in my mind, was my other grandfather was a, as McLean was, a communist throughout his life until he lived 10 years longer than Donald McLean, but stuck to his communism as McLean stuck to it, even though they could see the horrors that were perpetrated in its name by Stalin. Uh, they believed it was still the right system. So I've also always had in my mind how could someone stick to this ideology uh, even when they knew where it had led. Um, so I feel I've got both sides. I've got the civil servant patriot and the great yes. ideologue coming yes. together. And it struck me that the 30s was this brief moment when these young men, they were all young men, went into espionage for absolutely ideological reasons. They didn't want any payment. They weren't being blackmailed like John Vassell and others later on. Um, but they, they believed so much in the communist cause that that was their moment. Whereas I think spies now, uh, it's all about money and access and yes, and all that. Um, but this was this brief moment, which I think is part of the fascination of the game of spies is these young men who had everything yet chose to betray their country. There's, there's yes. also this sense, isn't there, of the great love that they had for this country. Yes. So you yes. think, obviously, uh, Anthony Blunt, the keeper of the Queen's picture. Absolutely, you, yes. You, this is not somebody who, they can't stand this country, and all they want to do is get to Russia. It's yes, like not at all. And I think the great puzzle at the heart of McLean, the enigma of my subtitle, is how a man could be an extraordinary civil servant and foreign officer um, he was getting top jobs years ahead of any of his contemporaries. He was a great patriot, um, yet he believed in, in, in a sort of abstract communism, that that was the way to world peace. Um, and it was when, in the Cold War, uh, when uh, he was in Washington until 19, from 44 to 48, and it was as the Cold War uh, got underway, he first felt the tug between his patriotism and his um, ideology, and that's when he started to crack up, which he did in spectacular fashion. So we're actually standing uh, in one of the places that Donald McLean would have been most frequently trailed and observed, as you say, on his way back from his... Club. That's absolutely right. His, his club was in clubland just up on Pall Mall behind us. And he was observed by a rather puzzled diplomat as he walked down the Duke of York steps and back to the Foreign Office where we've just been. Uh, because Maclean was extremely tall, good looking, um, every inch the English gentleman people remarked on the beauty of his suits, he always wore a bow tie and a fellow diplomat saw him striding back to the Foreign Office with this uh, rather shorter man in a, in a trilby and a raincoat scurrying, as he said, <laughs> along behind him. And this was his MI5 watcher because they were unable to match. They really the needed driver. someone with yeah. longer legs to be <laughs> yeah. doing it. Yes. One thing that strikes me as we sort of look back to the Foreign Office mm. 
looking at it now, do you think there are Donald McLeans working there now? Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Um, I wouldn't... Well, until McLean defected, there was no vetting whatsoever. Um, and uh, indeed, I've seen McLean's application form to the Foreign Office, where his tutor at Cambridge uh, is one of his referees and uh, never mentions um, McLean's political affiliations. I wonder if McLean said, please don't mention my political affiliations in, in my report. But I like to think, I don't know, that, um, that they've pretty thoroughly vetted the current batch of diplomats. Uh, it would be very alarming if they were, and let alone the Brexit negotiations, terrorism, uh, what we're you know, the, the impact Russia was having on, mm. on us now, not just Greenfield, Syria, and everything else, uh, it would be very, very alarming if they knew everything that was going on, which they may do. They may be able to hack into it and know it anyway without needing agents. You're, yes, we've moved from an age yeah. of human, I think yes. it's called, I mean, human, exactly. humans yes. doing yeah. it to, to SIGINT. To, to, and and yes. actually, it's probably not even called that now. It's probably called SIBINT or something. Yes, and it, yes. I'm guessing. I would have part of clubland, uh, not nightclub land, but gentlemen's clubland, Pall Mall, St James, that sort of that sort of area. And this, of course, is where Maclean spent much of his time. He did. He was a, uh, a great um, member of the Travellers Club, and whenever he was in the country, he would he would go there. And his last, uh, I've seen his engagement diary for his last months. Uh, in in England in 1951, January, she had made, well, he made appointments up to July. Um, but he was often, most days, in fact, lunching at the Travellers Club. And the last time he went into the Travellers Club was on the day he left England, um, his 38th birthday in May 51, when he, um, he had lunch with his great friend Mary Campbell, who picked him up when he was having his alcoholic breakdown the year before. And they went for lunch in Soho, uh, where Cyril Connolly saw him, uh, who commented that uh, his friend looked so much happier and better than he had for years. And on his way back to the Foreign Office for his afternoon's work, his last afternoon's work, he stopped at the Traveller's Club and cashed a cheque for £10, which is now in the National Archives as, as they track his movements last day. So I've always wondered whether he gave the £10 to Melinda to see her through yes. for the following yes. week or, or quite why he did that. Um, it was also in the Reform Club, next door to the Travellers Club, where when Burgess came back from America two weeks before the defection, uh, Burgess was sent back from America for bad behaviour, which was handy because Philby, who was head of MI6 station in Washington at the time, was able to say to Burgess, because obviously they couldn't trust anything like that to a telephone, they're on to McLean, you've got to get him out. Mm. Um, and um, don't you go too, Philby said. It was a terrible mistake for the whole spy network that Burgess went to, and a puzzle too. And so Burgess asked McLean to lunch at the reform, 
which is where he told him we've got to go. And they had another couple of lunches and meetings in that week, in the week before the defection, uh, in the reform, where clearly they were, Burgess was saying, this is how we're going to do it on this ship, which you don't need a passport on, we'll go to France mm. and off we go. Um, so uh, for the last week of Maclean's life, and we see this in the files, they were very much on this street and um, plotting, plotting together. Yes. So a time presumably of extreme excitement. Yes. Fear. Yes. Fear of discovery and fear of what was going to come. Absolutely. And presumably some regret, maybe not at their actions, but at the leaving of things. Yes. I, I have to assume so. McLean, uh, his wife was about to have their baby two weeks later. Uh, There's no... no um, question that she would accompany him that it was he was he no was it wasn't thought at all that she would she even knew uh, about um, about her husband's impending defection and after he went uh, the foreign office and, and the claim family and friends were incredibly solicitous of her um, not least because she'd just given birth and um, that she was portrayed in the press as the wronged woman and and all that but I can't imagine it wasn't hard to leave all this yes I mean we are talking. sitting yes. in amazing grandeur you know yeah. the most kind of one of the most beautiful spots of London yes the kind absolutely that you walk through and think yes. how isn't everybody here all the time Quite. you know and, um, and he was very very highly thought of and worked at yes. a high level but but he never allowed himself to say that and life was not this when he got to Russia, was it? I mean, no. It was not like this. When he got to Russia, they were taken to a terrible place called then called Kubyshev, now called Samara, again. Um, and I think lived in... He shared a flat with Burgess there. They loathed each other, he and Burgess. They were very different types of people. Um, and I think was very heavily debriefed, was not allowed to be in contact with his family. Um, I think it was pretty miserable. Uh, but after he got to Moscow in '55, that's when he was given a nice flat and, and, and a lot of respect. Too. I wonder if you were able to kind of paint a picture with words, as it were, of, of the sense of shock when he was uncovered in this country. Yes. I mean, I imagine it was huge. It was huge um, and terrific shame that went with it, and I think part of the reason the papers were kept under wraps so long was because of the embarrassment and shame. I think the damage here in, in England, Britain, was, a, was most lastingly, and I think we're still feeling the effects of that, mistrust of the establishment. The fact that, and the establishment used in that context was coined to talk about the people who protected Burgess and Maclean, the political and social network by a journalist and spectator. Um, and I think that suddenly these people who the public had looked up to to look after their interests, the fact that they could be Russian spies, at that moment when suddenly the atom bomb was in everyone's, haunting everyone's imagination, I think really shook the country. Um, and uh, and I think that lasted, and then other spies, Blake and so on, um, going forward through the 60s, led to a real mistrust. 
that I think still is around today to an extent. I mean, I, I was thinking during the Brexit referendum when people were talking about, uh, when leavers were talking about, we can't trust experts. And yes. that seemed to me yes. to smack of that. Yes. And I, I think it was the first great shock that uh, our, our leaders went, went straight. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. If you would like to learn more about a spy named Orphan, you can go to our show notes. That is also where you'll be able to sign up for the Vintage newsletter and follow us on Twitter at Vintage Books. Keep reading and until next time. Thank you.